Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Mac and Jack Sports Special, New York Sports Heroes. Last show we had on New York Yankees legend Roy White. This show, tonight we have on two-time Super Bowl champion, Super Bowl MVP, New York Giants legend Phil Simms be coming in in a few minutes to talk about his career, his up and ups and downs, obstacles he had overcome throughout his career from the draft in 1979 to the end of the 93-94 year, injuries, quarterback competitions, all the way to the end. And his biggest game of his career on the biggest stage in football, the Super Bowl, where he was named MVP. So we're, we're going to kind of talk to Phil about these things, especially that 86-year where they had to beat the San Francisco 49ers, and they did 49-3. Uh, Phil had a big game then. He then went ahead and he uh, – they went back and they played the Washington Redskins at the time. They won 17 and nothing, was back to defense in a running game. And then the Super Bowl where he brought the Giants back in the second half, as I said, uh, throwing for 88% completion, 10 straight in a row. 22 of 25, and the Giants scored 30 points in the second half to beat the Denver Broncos. So, Jack, big guest, um, legendary quarterback for the Giants. That's going to be a lot of fun having him on the show. Now, since the Super Bowl came into existence, the Giants have won it four times, okay? And two of the times were when Phil Simms uh, was quarterback of the team even though the second year, technically, he didn't play in the Super Bowl. But maybe they don't get there if it wasn't for Phil Simms because they really got off to a remarkable start and he played really well before he got injured late in the season. But those first two Giants Super Bowl teams of Phil Simms had greater players than the following two, okay? I mean, people normally don't compare, you know, Eli Manning's team, Giant teams to Phil Simms's Giant teams. But when you look at the players on Phil Simms' team, I mean, you know, offense, defense, the mixture. I mean, the Giants maybe aren't given their due, those teams that Phil Simms played for us, you know, amongst the great teams in NFL history. But, you know, you could put them against anyone and make an argument. Yeah, I mean, their defense easily, especially the 86 defense and the linebacker crew is probably the greatest linebacker crew in history with – Carson, Reasons, Banks, and Taylor, of course. And that front yeah. line was no joke either. But it seemed like Phil was always like uh, in the background, right? Because they talked about the defense. They talked about the running game. And Phil Sims never had a star wide receiver, which is something different than Eli had. I mean, Eli had Knicks. He had Cruz. He had some good receivers. Phil Sims, I mean, we're talking about receivers that were all pros. Phil Sims really didn't have that. He had a receiving crew that was very good and made a lot of big throws and big spots to help the Giants get to the Super Bowl. He was, it was, I think it was fourth and 17. He completed the Bobby Johnson. He says one of his favorite plays. And maybe we'll get to him about that too when he comes on. But Phil Sims was sort of like an like a guy that was always faced with obstacles, Jack, from his injuries to almost, fa- I, I, I want to say ridiculous quarterback competitions because of, of the injuries and because of what they felt they owed the other quarterbacks. For example, Jeff Hosteller, Rutledge, these guys were NFL quarterbacks, but they weren't even in Phil Simms' class, Jack. Well, that that's a testament to how mentally tough Phil Simms was. I mean, to be a high draft choice, number seven overall, and have an outstanding rookie year, then lose his starting quarterback job through injuries, coaches' decisions, or whatever other reason. And for the next few years, we didn't see the real Phil Sims. But then to bounce back to the iconic status that he eventually achieved, you have to be very mentally tough for that. Because other quarterbacks, I'm sure, who started their NFL career as well as Phil Sims did and then hit a big bump on the road, they'd get discouraged and they'd never quite be the same afterwards. Very, very true. And, and you know, as I said, Phil will be up here about 5 o'clock, folks, so stay tuned. 
Um, the thing that the thing, and and as he goes on in his career, Jack, he's already proven himself pretty much, right? 1990, uh, the 1990 Super Bowl team, Jeff Hostetler fills in, does a good job. I'm not going to take nothing away from uh, Jeff Hostetler. And the Giants win, but the Giants win because of a running game and defense. And they beat the Buffalo Bills 2019. And there's no doubt in my mind that if Phil Sims was healthy in the starting quarterback, they would have beat the Bills by a lot more than 20 to 19. Because Phil Sims well, was we, we, we never we never know the answer to that. I mean, in all fairness to Jeff Hostetler, he played to the game when they beat the 49ers to go to the Super Bowl, they beat them 15 to 13. They got five field goals. He played to the game, much as Joe Namath did when the Jets beat the Colts 16 to 7. Uh, maybe with Phil Sims opening things up, yeah. I mean, when I think of Phil Sims, the first thing that pops into my head was the second half of the Denver Bronco game in the Super Bowl. The Giants are down 10 to 9, and you got the feeling he knew he could turn it up a notch. Even though the Giants were down a point, it was as if they had Denver where they wanted them. And Phil Sims played one of the great halves, one of the great whole games in Super Bowl history. A quarterback's never played a better full game, I think, in the Super Bowl than Phil Sims played against the Denver Broncos. Now, let me give you some stats before Phil comes in. Now, remember, this is not full seasons, folks. He played for almost 13, 14 years. And these were through injury and through not starting all the games. He still passed for over 33,000 yards. He had 199 touchdowns, and he still holds some Giants records, one of them being passing for 515 yards in one game. So the man could throw. The problem was, was he uh, studious enough? And we'll talk to him about that too, right? We're going to talk to we're going to talk to Phil about what changed under him when he became starting quarterback under Ron Earhart. So we're going to we're going to touch on all those bases with Phil when he comes in. Uh, Phil's been gracious enough. He might only be able to be here for a half hour, so we want to get as much information in with Phil as we can before he goes. And maybe we'll talk a little bit after he leaves some post game stuff. Uh, post-show stuff. but I'd like to talk to him a little about his relationship with Bill Parcells because that's that famous shot on the sideline of Bill Parcells kind of snapping at Phil. Phil came up to him. Something was upsetting Phil a little bit. But, you know, by all appearances, they did have a good coach-player relationship. But I'd like to know years later how Phil feels about Bill Parcells because Certain coaches who've been with quarterbacks a long time, the relationship didn't quite last the way it should have. You could take Chuck Nolan, Terry Bradshaw, even though they won four Super Bowls together. Terry Bradshaw wasn't too fond of Chuck Nolan. He said after he retired, I wanted to fight with him. You know, yeah. they, they just didn't get off on the best terms. I kind of wonder what Phil's relationship would be with Bill Parcells today. If he saw him, would they sit down, have a cup of coffee together? If he saw him on the street corner, would they say, hey, let's sit down, grab a bite to eat? Or is it a little bit distant? That would be interesting. Well, guess what, folks? Um, as we talk about Phil Sims and, and his career, Phil Sims has just popped in. And let me bring him up live. New York Giants uh, quarterback legend himself. Phil Sims. How are you doing, Phil? Good. Let me get this straight here. Hold on one second. Go right ahead, sir. Okay, now your, your mic just went off, Phil. So whatever you did, there you go. I can hear you now. No, I can't. Try try that mic, whatever you, whatever you hit, Phil. Still can't hear you, sir. Your mic is muted. That's what the problem is. It's probably a lot easier at CBS, Phil, than here. <laughs> yes. yes, you got me now? Yes, sir, we sure can. Oh, okay. So, I want to thank you, first of all, for coming in uh, to the show. I mean, uh, not only are you one, you're one of my heroes, uh, of wow. the Giants, but you're one of the New York, all the New York Giants fans I know uh, look up, up to you with appreciation and love for all the great things you did with the Giants, even though it didn't start off so well, so uh, way back when. But New York Giants ring of honor, retired jersey, all well worth it. I think I, 
you know, me personally, I'd have you all in the Hall of Fame in a minute, honestly, God. But, <laughs> well, that's nice of you to say. And, yes, look. you know, for it not starting out well, look, no matter who you are in, in the NFL, especially a quarterback, it's never going to be easy. And there's going to be rough spots. And you just hope you're with a team and all that, that you can survive it. So, fortunately, I was one of those guys that was able to survive and be part of two Super Bowl championships. Phil, but when you think of it, not that many quarterbacks who've been drafted very highly the way you were and had an excellent rookie season and then hit a kind of a bump on the road for a few years for a variety of reasons can be as mentally tough as you want to come back and enjoy the success you had later on, the way you persevered. Well, you know, I always get that question. I got a lot during my career by some of the writers you know, uh, you know, you're persevering. I go, well, what chance, what other choice do I have? You know, when it gets rough, if you love playing football and it's a great living, it's my dream, then, you know, you're going to fight through some uh, tough times. And yeah, my rookie year, thinking about that, it worked out pretty well. Man, it was a long year, though. Wow. These rookie quarterbacks now, I just go, boy, you, you need a break. And towards the end of that, my rookie year, I was like, I want you to take this the right way. I go, I don't even care if we win or lose. I just got to get this season over with. And it was really long, hard, and a great learning experience. But uh, that rookie year for quarterbacks, it's rough. Phil, let's, let, let me take you all the way back pre-draft, okay? They don't right. cover the NFL or college like they do today. You know, you don't have the networks. You didn't have internet. You didn't have ESPN. You didn't have these mock drafts. You didn't have any of that stuff back then. We really didn't know as fans – no. Who was the best players in the, in college? Unless you you know you read the papers, Heisman trophies. We saw some big rivalries on the, on some networks, but we really didn't know uh, Phil Sims, and we really didn't know Morehead State. Sure. So what they didn't, what a lot of some people don't realize, I should say, is that the San Francisco 49ers were scouting you heavily, and if the Giants didn't pick you, Bill Wall said he was going to take you with. With, with a certain round pick. They wanted to pick you. Instead, right. they turned to Joe Montana. So yeah, was, they got a, yeah. Uh, that was the second So <laughs> yeah. do you ever wonder, Phil, when you look back, what your career would have been like on, on the San Francisco 49ers under Bill Walsh in that West Coast offense? Well, you know, a couple of things. Uh, I had about seven or eight teams that said they were going to draft me in the first round. And, man, I did, you know, this day and age we have now, they have pro days. Well, I'm not exaggerating. I don't know how many pro days I had, 15 to 20. You know, teams would come down and want to see a long workout and this. And, you know, listen, it was a great experience. And all my friends on the team, they had a great time with it, too, because they got to come out and catch passes, uh, get jersey, not jersey, shirts and all that stuff from the teams. But, yeah, I know I did think about it. I worked out twice for Bill Walsh. It was very unique both times. Uh, his thought process and teaching me on the field was like nothing I'd ever heard. And he was like saying, why are you throwing it so hard? And I just went, well, I thought this is what you wanted to see. No, I want you to make it look pretty. And I'm like, okay. And, but you know, it was, yeah, I thought about it. And I think when, once I was in the league, I would be watching the 49ers play with a team we were getting ready to play. And I just go, oh my gosh, they make it, Looks so easy. And that was my third year. And Joe Montana was now the starter for the 49ers. And uh, it was great to watch. Yeah, I thought about it. And every time we played the 49ers, Bill Walsh would come across the field, shake my hand, and kind of go, he'd whisper, he'd go, you're everything I thought you would be. Wow. And, you know, man, oh, it would just crush me. It was great. And I just wish we would have had a chance to have a better, even more of a relationship than we had. But of course, beating the 49ers the few times I did, few times I did, that was pretty awesome too. You led me into the one question I kind of wanted to ask you. I mean, you set it up for me perfectly. Your relationship with Bill Parcells. There's that famous uh, photo shoot, you on the sideline, him snapping a little at you. They played it over and over again. What's your real relationship with Bill Parcells? Well, it's, it's good. And, you know, it was really uh, very good for most of my career with him. Uh, was he tough? Of course. But he was a great um, teacher of football players and, you know, even the quarterback. You know, he taught me about 
leadership, how to act around players, what he wanted from me and all that. And of course he, you know, didn't mind using me as an example to try to get through the other players. And he, there were some days we would be walking to practice. He would go, you know, son, I'm really proud of you. You're working hard. You're leading the team. And he'd go on and on. And I go, wow. You know, I'm like, are you okay, coach? Say these things to me. And then he goes, I just want you to know today, though, I'm going to really get on you at practice. And I go, can't we wait and see what practice? He goes, nah, these other guys, man, I don't know what to tell you, Sims. I got to get them straight. So I'm just going to yell at you to try to get a message to them. And I would just go, okay, here we go. And it'd be a rough day of practice. And he would single me out and just really let me have it. And of course I took it, didn't say anything. And the rest of the team would look and kind of laugh, but he was trying to get a message across to everybody. So our relationship was very good overall. It really was. And uh, look, I wouldn't be talking to you guys today or be working at CBS or anywhere if it wasn't for, wasn't for Bill Parcells. So, you know, you know Phil, we have a lot of, a lot of giants that come on Byron Williams, Pepper Johnson, uh, right. Bart Oates, all these guys, and they all say, you know, that Bill Parcells, Bill Parcells was tough, but they all love him. I mean, they all revere this man. It's it's it's, it's totally different. I think the relationship in the locker room, and and when you got them private moments, than it is, you know, in front of the under the stress of a game. That's for sure. Well, listen, with Bill, yeah, we all do because you know I think players anytime in any sport will admire their coach if that coach makes them better and makes the team better and gives you success. And he did that for all of us. And it was unique. You know, there's no coach like him when I played. There's no coaching like him today. The way he could just talk to you and, you know, be so strong and so tough every day. Every day was the most important day of our lives. And every practice, my God, this is the greatest practice and we must do that. And, you know, you would be tense and nervous before practice. I was every day because he would put that pressure on you. But he had a way of before games to relieve that pressure. He was really good. Like he'd go, hey, look now, Sims, don't try to be perfect today. You got to let it go and let's just play. And don't worry about winning or losing. Just And, you know, it would like it was really like – okay, you relax. And he had a good way of doing that with everybody before in game day. So we could be free, play hard, fast, and not worry about making mistakes because he knew it was a game. It wasn't a game for perfection. That's for sure. Well, well, well let me, let me, uh, let me change what I said a little bit. They have never been on the New York, uh, you know, sports legend show. It's on another show we do. It was reserved <laughs> for you, Phil, just to let you know. Um, well, that's nice. Um, your rookie year, I want to go back to that real quick. You jump out, the Giants are 5-0. and all. Uh, You end up 6-4 and four under you. Um, and I saw something in you your rookie year. You were just a pure passer. I could tell that you could really chuck that ball around. Um, and you actually made the NFL all-rookie team. You, right. you, you were, you were runner-up to O.J. Anderson. Can't be sad about that as rookie of the year. I mean, you were going toe-to-toe with him. So – from that time on, Phil, it was like you were either playing hurt, you were injured. They had these, I'm going to call them false quarterback competitions. Now, I respect all NFL players, and I do, sure. all quarterbacks. But when you're competing against Scott Bruner and Rutledge, to me at the time, even as a young kid, I thought that was ridiculous. Why would you put somebody on a bench, even if he's injured or maybe not playing all the time, when you knew, I knew at that age, just watching, they weren't in the same class you were. All due respect to them. I just I just felt that they were always put an obstacle in front of you, is what I'm saying. Well, listen, you know, the injuries, uh, you know, I look back on my career, and, of course, if I was a, a quarterback in today's game, I don't think I would get hurt. It's not because the rule changes, because it's a way to play. Avoid contact at all costs now as a quarterback. And that wasn't how I was taught from high school, college, and even to the pros. And Bill kind of drummed it in me too, just like, hey, Sims, you got to hang in there, by God, and this and that. And, and you know, looking back, uh, you know, I wish I would have played a different style, but it really wasn't encouraged to me or it wasn't how I was coached either. So I set myself up for a lot of injuries and um, you overcome it. But I tell people this all the time, you know, quarterbacks, 
no matter what the competition is, when you go on the field, you already know. And uh, there was one thing that always gave me uh, confidence inside, no matter what the situation was. I knew I was the best thrower on the field. And, you know, that's a that's a big thing. I always think with quarterbacks, when you go out to practice, you want to be the guy. You don't want your backup over there throwing lasers everywhere and showing you up. And uh, so that was a little bit that gave me confidence. And also, there's many other reasons about quarterback competitions, um, how they're slanted, how they want the outcome, stuff like that. And you know what, you know, I know the politics and if it was going to go my way, I already knew. We didn't have to go through the competition. I knew how it was going to work out. So, uh, but it all worked out well. And I'm very happy that we won two championships. I was fortunate enough to play on a good team for many, many of those years and under Bill. And then I had a great experience under Dan Reeves one year, my last year. I didn't know it was going to be my last year, but it, it worked out great. Nobody thought anything of us. We have a play the Cowboys the last game of the year for just about everything. And we won a playoff game. Uh, it went great. And uh, that was a good experience, too, along with Bill Parcells. But just to let you know, Jack, real quick, Jim Jeffco told me to say hi to you. Uh, oh, Jim. <laughs> well, uh, Jim uh, tortured me in my career. And, uh, you know, I probably wasn't his favorite player, that's for sure, because I was vocal on the field and stuff like that. But, you know, I regret all that stuff. But, man, you know, some of the things that were said to me on the field, too, I hope they regret it. Was, it, was, me. it wasn't fun, Phil. Trust me. It wasn't fun. It wasn't oh, fun. He loves yeah, it. No. Well, yeah, listen, he was a tremendous player. It's funny. I've looked back and watched some old games during the lockdown of COVID. So I look at YouTube and go, wow, there's a game about the Giants. Let me watch it. And some of those were with the Dallas Cowboys. And I go, oh, my gosh, Jim Jeff Coat, you know, that era, Tutal Jones, Randy White. I mean, it just went on and on. And, of course, all those defensive linemen with Jimmy Johnson. And I didn't realize that, man, that was – I took some beatings against that Cowboy team, that's for sure. No, but you got to practice against great players every day. I mean, how much does that help a quarterback as opposed to practicing against mediocre players? Well, listen, we practiced for real. And, you know, practice was tough. And, you know, I was the quarterback. If it was tough on me, that what the heck was it for the offense and defensive linemen and everybody else? But we really practiced hard. So it's it was just a different game in my career. You know, everything about it, the game, the play calling, the design, the rules. And, of course, our practices, they would be outlawed now. And they are outlawed. You can't do what we did back then. And Was the defense allowed to hit you uh, during practice? Well, absolutely not. <laughs> I mean, Lawrence Taylor would run by me in practice all the time and go, just once. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you'd like to hit me, but if you hit me, man, it's trouble. So <laughs> you can never hit me. But no, if they could hit me, I wouldn't have, I would have been hurt more. That's for sure. That's the truth. Let me talk to you a little bit about your relationship with the offensive coordinator, Ron Earhart. Oh. I mean, I, I you know, I've I've read a lot of things about you and the Giants. I've been a Giant fan since 67, since I can remember. And Ron Earhart, uh he kind of took you to the side one time and told you to do something that that maybe you weren't doing correctly or that you weren't doing enough of. And it was actually getting there and studying defenses, studying film, doing stuff like that. How much did he help you, uh, Phil, become the quarterback you were? Well, Ron, you know, I have a very soft spot in my heart for him. And, um, you know, he helped and changed my career. And he was a tremendous offensive coordinator, run designer, and he really started a lot of the pass protections we see now in the NFL. And also he created some of the plays that I just got done watching the Kansas City Chiefs play. And I go, heck, we were running that play back in the early 80s because Ron was the one that designed it to fit all defenses. But uh, he never got the credit he deserved from me or from the, you know, from the Giants. And, you know, I regret. I just remember – the Super Bowl after we won it out in Pasadena, you know, he called such a tremendous game and designed it really nice. And we were kind of hot at the end of the year. And it was, it was really a lot with Ron. And I just wish I could have gave him more credit. And I wish he'd got more credit for what we did and those Super Bowls to win because he came up with two kind of different game plans, different thoughts. And, you know, Ron was just, he's one of the all time assistant coaches in NFL history. And he doesn't get talked about enough, 
Bill Cower, who I work with at CBS, his first hire when he became coach of the Pittsburgh Steelers, he hired Ron Earhart. And he tells me all the time, it was the best hire I ever made because he came in there, settled the offense down, gave them a plan and coached the way Bill wanted to coach too. So Bill Cower was a lot like Bill Parcells. He wanted the games managed a certain way. And Ron was tremendous at that. And his ego, that's the big thing. You know, he didn't wasn't worried just about himself and how the offense look, looked. He did it for the team, and he took a lot of bullets for that too, that's for sure. We got a lot of questions coming on, Phil. I'll get to them if, if we finish up in time. There's too much I want to cover with you right sure. now. Um, I'm glad cricket. Um, yeah, you, you look great. Don't worry about it. All right. um, the, the, uh, I want to talk to you a little bit about, of course, the 85 Bears. The Giants hadn't been to a championship since – I know the early 60s, late 50s. So you go ahead and, and you get to the championship. You're playing in Chicago. The wind is just awful. I mean, oh. even mess, misses a punt. I mean, it looked like it was all stacked against you. Gave an easy touchdown to the Bears. But what kind of sense of accomplishment did you have? I know you wanted to win a game. Everybody did. But you actually made it to the championship game. First time in like 26 years plus. How did that feel making it that first time? Well, look, you know, we were on the rise. Uh, I don't know if I went into the 85 season thinking we were going to be Super Bowl champions, but I had great hope after the 84 season, won a playoff game, found a way to finally have a winning record and all that. And I think when the game was over, you know, I thought, okay, we got to get better. Uh, the game was closer than the score. I think we were on about the one-foot line and didn't score from there. We had a touchdown dropped. Uh, we couldn't run it in. And then we missed the field goal. And then, of course, you said it to Sean Landetta, who's one of the greatest punters in NFL history. The win, you know, being a quarterback, running out in the field before the game, the warm-up, I went, oh, my gosh. <laughs> you know, you dream about playing in playoff games, and then you got to play in that kind of weather. And even the weather we played it in our championship game at Giant Stadium, 40-mile-an-hour winds. I mean, oh, my gosh. You know, you wait for this your whole life, and you run out in the field, and it's, oh, what are we going to do against this? But – you know, that Bears team, I think it just gave us more motivation. And um, we were pretty sharp right from the start of training camp the following year. And, you know, the year worked out great. But, yeah, it was a, just a good experience knowing that we were not good enough yet to win a Super Bowl after we had played the Bears. How much do players dread awful weather? If you hear it's going to be zero degrees out, the players really dread the thought of playing and getting tackled in that type of weather. I, I don't, you know, I, I think the players that really don't like it are first and foremost the quarterbacks. Probably the punters kind of go, well, this is going to be rough hitting it in the air today. But, you know, receivers, maybe a little bit. But linemen, you know, they don't care. Defensive players, they're happy. Oh, well, they, they know it limits to what the offense can do, really throwing the ball. So those things are big deals. And it's um, something that I had to get used to because – I would say half of the games in my career, I'd run out in the field at Giant Stadium and go, oh, again, windy, you know, limits you. A lot of times we were only really through the ball aggressively or whatever when the wind was behind us. And that was probably the only good thing about Giant Stadium. I was used to it. And I always said, you know, Bernie Kosar said, wow, you play so well up here in the wind and all this. And I go, yeah. I expect mediocrity, mediocrity, and you guys haven't yet found out that's what it's going to be in the game. And, you know, it really changes the way you play as a quarterback. And uh, I did get used to it and learn to play a certain way because of all the win we faced at Giant Stadium. So let's talk about the 86 season, uh, Phil. Of course, again, you're known for the big blue wrecking crew, one of the greatest linebacking crews in history of football, one of the greatest defenses in right. history of of football that defensive line and defensive backfield was no joke either and you guys were mainly a running team you had joe morris the offensive line worked well together and you made throws that had to be made to keep drives alive and to score touchdowns you didn't have no uh, uh hall of fame receiver you had a good receiving crew uh good tight ends they they came up and made plays when you had to but when you played the 49ers if the broncos weren't paying attention they should have been because you had an awesome game against the 49ers in the playoffs that year. And then followed up again, the Giants in the championship against the then Washington Redskins went right back to defense and pound the ball. Wow. Um, so Super Bowl, I want to get to the Super Bowl with you, which is probably 
the greatest game ever, one of the greatest games ever played by a quarterback on the biggest stage, which you did. Giants are down 10 to 9 in the first half. Endeavor was selling out for the run. I could see that. And, and they couldn't move the ball. You come out in the second half and have a game of all games and, and put up 30 points, throwing the ball 88%, 20 to 25, 10 in a row. I can still remember it like it yesterday, Phil. Believe me. Mm, well. <laughs> so what was said at halftime, Phil? I mean, something had to be said to you, either by the coach or one of the coaches, that you're going to change the game plan and you're going to go for it. Was anything said? No. Uh, you know, a couple of things. First off, late in that year, once our receiving core got healthy, we won many games just because of the passing game and big plays. And, you know, Bill Parcells was always that guy that would go, hey, you know, Sims, we can run it for four and five yards. I need some plays down the field. And I go, okay. But so that's what we were really all about. And at that Super Bowl, no, at halftime, everybody always wants to know what was said by Bill Parcells. And he goes, hey, men, we got 30 minutes. And that was about it, you know. That that was really his speech almost every time at halftime because he gave all of his speeches during the week to get us ready to play the games. And he set the table every Wednesday with a long speech or whatever before we started our meetings to get ready for the Sunday game by, out, you know, giving us the plan overall, what we wanted to do. And it was really detailed. And that set the tone for the week. And that was the same for the Super Bowl. You know, we have been playing really well, passing it well, running it. And uh, we practice great leading up to the Super Bowl. But at halftime, no, there were no adjustments. We just went out and called plays accordingly. And, you know, probably many big plays. One, going forward on fourth early in the second half, Bill did. And then right away we started connecting. We opened it up just a little, and we hit all the passes. So, I, I don't know. People always ask me that. And I just remember going into halftime, we were losing 10 to 9. I literally took a 10-minute nap sitting on a, a bench and just go, well, it's a long halftime. I'm going to relax. You know, I wasn't a nervous guy, that kind of type, before or during the middle of games. And uh, it was a relaxed atmosphere knowing we were a little fortunate to just be down 10 to 9. And the games, you know, don't worry about winning and losing at halftime. Just go out and keep playing, and we turn things around. What people forget is that the Giants played the Denver Broncos early in the year, and it was a tough game. The Giants only won by three points. Right. How concerned were you with that Denver team? Did they? I know all teams pose a threat, but did they pose a serious threat? Because the body language coming out for the second half, the Giant team, it was as if you knew you had the game, that you were going to just had to do what you had to do, and you'd take care of business, and you were going to win. How, how much a threat was Denver to you? Well, they were a threat. I mean, listen, we played them during the season. We uh, I think we had a third and 18 or 20 backed up. And I threw I went ahead and took a chance and threw it in the middle of the field and hit it. And we drove down and kicked the game-winning field goal against them. So I think we were a 10-point favorite for the Super Bowl. I was like, wow, this is crazy when we struggle to beat them at home. But uh, I think looking back, I look at that team, and especially on the defensive side, and go, "Wow, they were really good. They had a, they had good players at almost every position." And uh, so, I don't know if we ran out there in the second half thinking we were going to win. I don't remember that. I just remember, you know, we were confident always, and you know, the game is sixty minutes. All that the, you know, the, the stuff you hear, the cliches. But I don't remember running out there in the second half thinking we were going to lose the game, and I wasn't worried. And just we're just going to keep playing. And like I said, take some plays by us, plays by the defense, and some really good calls by Bill Parcells and some really good play calls by Ron Earhart at the right times that changed the game around. When I've watched the game, which I have a couple times, I just go, wow, there were a lot of moments where that game could have turned either way. And, you know, I didn't realize it while I was playing it, but as time has gone on, I look at it, two things come up. A lot of tough situations, and man, the Broncos had a lot of good players. That's all you know. That's how I look back and remember it. And they did. So let's skip forward to the the ninety season, eighty nine ninety season, when you know the super the second Super Bowl team is forming. You guys jump out fast again. I think you were ten and zero at one time. Going we were. We're ten and zero. Uh, you get hurt. Hostiller comes in, does a good job. Uh, again, he did sure. he, he did a real good job for the Giants. 
uh, going to the Super Bowl, made some plays. But the Giants, again, turned back to ground and pound and, yeah. and you know, defense. And and I say this to everybody. Every the, I've said this to Jack before the show. And people say, well, you don't know. I guarantee you, Phil, if you were not hurt and playing, that game would have been a lot more than 20 to 19 because we could have opened up the opened up the offense. I know it, you know, you can't go back and say for sure. My feeling is that the offense would have been a little bit different, the calling of the offense, if you were the quarterback. Because again, you know, no matter what anybody tells me, Hosteller was just not in your class. A good quarterback, no disrespect to, to Jeff Hosteller, because he did a good job. And and I'm glad he did it, being a Giants fan. So but, yeah. <laughs> I heard now. Tell me if this is true or not. I heard that you were really hurt about yeah, that, was hurt. that Super Bowl. Hurt, that you heard what? That that you didn't even that you didn't even want to be in the picture. You were so upset with how things turned out. Is that true, Phil? No, it's not true. You know, God, I I was down at the Super Bowl and I had my foot in a cast, so that was not going to make me happy. And of course, not playing was a big deal too because you know it's such a struggle anyway. No matter who you are and what the uh, situations are, especially a quarterback, and to start out ten and zero, and things are, you know, it was a different football team. We had changed from who we were in '86 to being more aggressive running the ball and being more conservative. In '86, we ran the ball, but we were really aggressive throwing when we did. So it was a different mindset, and I was kind of into it and loved managing games and doing all that. So you know, hey. Would we have won the Super Bowl? You know, honestly, I think we would have. I was kind of what Buffalo, how they play defense, set up well for me. But, right. you know, I look back at the 49ers and some of the, the other playoff game of the championship. You know, Jeff did a really good job, made some big runs for five and six yards, which were really key in the game. And uh, would I have won that game? You know, I don't know. That would have been a different game too. But I do feel confident and not bragging at all that the Bills played a simple defense. And that was kind of made for me to throw it against them or whatever. Would we have done that? I don't know. Because the game plan is what it was because of one thing. Jim Kelly and the K-Gun. Let's keep them off the field. Let's eat the clock up. All those things. And, look, it was it was a tremendous performance, I think, by both sides of our team. But, really, our offense was probably the key to me about winning the game because we shortened it so much and put the pressure on the Buffalo Bills to make plays, you know, at key times. Definitely. And, and, and again, you know, nothing against Jeff. I just – what I thought is that it would have been called differently. But the – Well, yeah, maybe it would. Let me just say it again, though. You, you know, I was not like, what do you do when you're hurt? You know, you kind of just like um, get rid of your emotions and just suffer through it. And that's right. what it is. And when you get hurt in the NFL, it's like you were never part of the team. It's it, – and – it's not probably that way, but that's the way you feel. And all guys that get injured, you feel separated from because you're not in meetings, you're not part of the practice, and you know it's it's hard, it's a tough time. But man, if you're going to be a quarterback or play in the NFL, you're going to face a lot of tough times. Uh, I don't care who you are, except maybe Tom Brady. Uh, so, <laughs> but you know, listen, I'm. I'm not going to say I love my second Super Bowl ring more than my first, but I'm proud of both of them, that's for sure. It should be. Um, uh, when when the Super Bowl's over, Parcells leaves. He goes to New England, takes half the coaching staff and some players with him, and Ray Hanley takes over. Um, names Haas the starting quarterback after the Super Bowl right. season. And then Dan Reeves comes. And I want to get to this because I think uh, this is uh, like almost a good send-off of what you did in your career. You had one of your best uh, years in your career playing that last season. Um, I mean, you, you, you just look so confident out there throwing the ball. You, you were hitting the receivers and the giants go to 11, five. And as you said, they lose that tough game and overtime to oh, Dallas, yeah. um, you know, and, and I mean, Dallas was on the rise and this was kind of the giants last hurrah for a while. Um, yeah. I mean, how did how did you feel? I mean, I know after the season is over, you you, you know you don't know whether to retire to keep playing. How hard was it for you, Phil, to stop playing football after that season? Oh well, look, I had no intentions of retiring or quitting or anything. I thought, man, I'm going to go in and ask for a raise, <laughs> and uh, you know, I, I'm serious. Uh, you know, I thought we were on to something. We had turned the team around. I was really close to Dan Reeves. My relationship was incredible with him. We really connected 
and he listened to all my ideas and I listened to him. I learned so much from him. And, you know, too, let me just go back real quick. Ray Hanley, how he handled everything. I have no qualms about it at all. We were very close too. I, you know, I feel bad that his coaching or career with the Giants didn't last longer and we couldn't play well enough to keep his job because I had some opportunities there with Ray Hanley to turn things around and we just couldn't get it done. Uh, but with Dan Reeves, it was a special year. And I thought if we would beat the Cowboys in overtime and we played that game, I said, if we win this game, we have a really good chance of going to the Super Bowl just because you had to come to Giant Stadium to play. And, right. you know, Giant Stadium was different. The crowd, the weather, the turf, it was just a great place. And that Dallas Cowboy team that beat us that day, that's one of the best teams I ever played. And when we lost, I just said, wow, they're kind of win our chances to win the Super Bowl. I talked to Jimmy Johnson, believe it or not, after that game in the parking lot. And I just said, look, Jimmy, you got some team. You guys are going to do great. He goes, oh, well, maybe we'll see you guys again. I said, well, maybe, I hope. But my, it, just, it was interesting. And, of course, they went on and won the Super Bowl. And, um, but it was a great year. I had no intentions of retiring. The Giants, I forgot when they let me go in April or May that year, caught me completely by surprise. But I almost came back to the Cleveland Browns a year later. But that didn't work out either. So maybe it was good that I didn't put my body in front of playing two or one or two or three more years. Um, so I, that's what I think of, and that's how – rationalize it now that I stopped my career after 15 years. If I'd have played longer, maybe I had more physical problems as time goes on. And right now I feel pretty good. So I'm happy with the way everything went. You know, Dan Reeves said after that cowboy loss, that heartbreaking loss with the division title on the line, he regretted not taking a shot at the end zone. Okay. That you laid in the game when you the pass you the tied up. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, you know, I can I can tell you that drive and everything. And I was looking for that shot. I look for it every time. But you know what? The Cowboys. Pretty smart and pretty good. They weren't going to give it to us. So unless I was willing just to throw it up and see if I get lucky, uh, there was no chance there. And, you know, two, it was really windy that day. Not really windy, but windy enough where it would affected the Cowboys. And Troy Aikman didn't like throwing in the wind. That's for sure. And we were standing on the sideline. And Dan Reeves goes, if we win the toss, should I take the wind? And I just remember, I can remember like it was just, I go, coach, if you do that and they drive down and score and we lose, oh my gosh. He goes, yeah, okay. And that was, <laughs> yeah, we couldn't take that chance of kicking off and letting them drive into the wind and score to end the game, which it did at that time in overtime. So we took the ball and we were moving. And we had a personal foul called against us, which was awful. I can remember it. One of our linemen, they said he clipped the guy or whatever on a double team, which was not true. But that really set us back. And, of course, the Cowboys took the ball, went down and kicked the field goal to win the game. You know, if you got if you got any more time left, I'd like to talk to you sure. a little bit about today's Giants and, and what's going on there. I, I mean, it seems to me, um, since Eli and those teams played, and, uh, you know, that wasn't – that wasn't – I don't I think Eli did a lot for that team as far as hanging in there and taking a punchment like you did. Sure. Uh, the yeah. offense wasn't – what the line wasn't that great either. I think your offensive line was better, to tell you the truth. But <laughs> beside the point, um, what do you think about today's Giants? I mean, um, you know, there's talks that Russell Wilson would, would love to come over. Daniel Jones is in the pressure cooker. Uh, you know, they're throwing darts. Jason Garrett's let go of. What is, I mean, you've played the game, you follow the Giants, you played with the Giants. What is the problem with them getting the ball in the end zone? That's the only question I got. They can't get the ball in the end zone. I don't I don't understand what is it is it the system? Is it the players? Is it just just a feeling, Phil? Well, it's always uh, all the above, and that's what it is. And you know, when a team, you know, I covered the league, and since I've been out, I did games for, I don't know, 20-some years or whatever. I don't even know how long I did it, maybe more than that. But when teams get to a certain situation, like the Giants are in right now, and it's really – you can go into that situation and be there for 10 years, or maybe longer. It's – you almost – I'm not going to say there's luck, but things got to fall your way so you can turn it around and just get 
the energy, the talent, the coaching, everything to fall in place. And the Giants, you know, to their credit, they've been trying. They're not afraid to make changes. But, you know, I think right now they're in one of those situations where patience is going to be the the answer. You know, you got to you can't keep changing because when you change, a lot of times what that means, we're starting over again. Yeah, yeah, I and I just don't think they can afford that. So they got to get some stability in every area with the football team and give the coaches, the, some of the players, a chance to get one more shot at it to see if they can make it work. Because, again, new coach, new coordinators, new quarterback, all that, that's a lot to try to put together in the NFL season now, especially the way they've regulated and the rules about offseason where you can't get together and do all that. So it just gets tougher and tougher for first-year coaches. So my answer would be this to all the fans, show some patience. And I say that to the ownership too. Yeah, well, I mean, I agree with you 100%. I mean, if you look at the Jets, they change coaches every two years almost, and they just are caught in that cycle. And hopefully they do the same thing. and stick. Well, you know, it, it always comes down, and, and I do have faith, and I don't just say it because I'm here in New York. I think I'm pretty honest when I talk about all players because I try to know what they're doing. I study them and, and try to give, you know, answers. But I think the Jets and the Giants, when I look at them, there are some very good pieces on both sides of the ball for both teams, but I do like their quarterbacks, and I think these quarterbacks can be successful. And so I hope they, like I said, have some patience, especially with the Giants, and get give it at least one more year before we start making these rash decisions again. I'll agree with that. Uh, Matt Tomczewski wants to know, who was your who was your favorite target when you were throwing the ball? I know Byron personally. He won't be upset if you don't say it's him. Okay. Well, well Byron caught. I never. Hey, look, he started the year off pretty well in 1984. I threw him a long, big post down the middle of the field. The safety got a little nosy, and he kind of hit it with his fingertips, kicked it up, caught it, ran for a touchdown. And man, we were off and running the first game of the year that year against the Eagles. But um, what was the question? Hell, I got talking. Right <laughs> <laughs> who, was, who was your favorite target? I know that's putting you in a spot. Well, no, it's not. No, listen, nobody will be offended with all my receivers and everybody. It was Mark Bavaro. You know, listen, in my story, I've said it a thousand times, but I think it's always worth repeating. Bill Parcells, we were playing the Steelers in preseason game, back when everybody played in the preseason games. And there was a play called for him and me to throw it to him. Well, he was covered. So I threw it to somebody else. So the day after we're watching the film and Bill comes up to me, goes, why did you throw that ball to Bar uh, uh, Bavaro? I go, Bill, he was covered. And he looks at me, he goes, hey, look, Sims, when Bavaro's covered, he's open. And I went, okay, I got it. And he, he really meant it. And we kind of started that trend when our guys were covered, throw it behind them, throw it high, throw it here, and they would make adjustments. And Mark and Zeke Mowat were the two best I've ever, of course, I was ever around. And we took all that and did it with our receivers too. If they were covered, I'd throw it behind them. And we got very good at it. And it was really probably the biggest staple to our whole passing offense were those type of throws. Now, the last pass you threw on the Giants field, was that planned to LT? You really put him in the spot. He caught oh, did I ever? Oh, my great. God. It was spectacular. Oh. But that, that could have had disaster written all over it, but it worked out. I, You know, I never thought about the downside, which is <laughs> typical of a quarterback and athlete, you know, well, nothing bad's going to happen. And then I asked him before the game, I was going to throw one to my young son, Christopher, who at the time, now he's 41, but he was, I think, 12. I said, Christopher, if I drop back and I just want you to run as fast as you can, I'm going to throw one as far as I can and whatever. Are you okay? He goes, yeah, I'll do it, Dad. But before the game, I ran into Lawrence, and I said, he was going to come out in the field. I said, man, do you mind go out for a little short pass and I'll throw it to you? He goes, Okay. So here he comes on the field, sport coat, slippers. I don't know what he drank during the game in the first half, but you you use your imagination. And he hugs me. He goes, make it good. <laughs> and, I just, and I threw it over the shoulder, which I didn't mean to, but Lawrence made the catch. And thank God, I, I, I just didn't realize what a position I put him in until people started talking about it. I said, man, Lawrence, good for him. And, hey, listen, Lawrence could have been an NFL tight end. He could have done a lot of things. That's how talented he was as an athlete. And he did a good job catching that ball under pressure and over the shoulder, that's for sure.
you know, Phil, I, I, I always wanted to, to ask you this. Um, do the giant quarterbacks after you, do they ever call you or get in contact with you, or do you ever give them advice? I mean, Eli Manning and now Daniel Jones, who's in a rough position. He kind of reminds me of you a little bit. Um, he may not throw the ball as good, in my opinion, because, you know, I think you're the best. But well, you're, he's yeah, a good yeah. arm. He's a good athlete. I mean, he seems like a real tough kid. He takes a lot yeah. of punishment. So do you ever talk to these uh, these quarterbacks, Phil? No, I really don't. No, it's just, you know, it, people always think that. But, no, you know, listen, I, I don't try to interfere on their lives, uh, and especially what they're doing. They got enough going on, enough people talking to them and all that. And, yeah, when I see them, you know, it's friendly, cordial. But I never, like, said, hey, you know, do this or you should do that. I never would intrude on their territory because they got enough going on. Uh, I like them both. Uh, I probably have talked to Daniel Jones, maybe more than I did Eli already. But, uh, hey, when you meet Daniel Jones, there's a couple of things you'll be like, have you ever met him? First, you'll go, he is one big dude. And, I mean, he's he really is. And I think he's talented, so I hope it works out for him. And, of course, we know how it worked out for Eli. It worked out great for him. And uh, success, Super Bowls, and he didn't get hurt which is, to me, the most amazing thing of all. I don't care how you play the game. If you can play as long as he did and not miss a play or a game, it's that's incredible. So, so Jack asked you about your relationship with Bill Parcells. How about your relationship with Harry Carson, Phil? I mean, that guy was there since 76, leader right. of the team. To me, again, not, no, not because I'm biased and I'm a Giants fan, but to me, probably – if not the best linebacker in his middle linebacker in history of football, in the top three anyway. Um, well, and he was, I mean, what a captain, what a player. Um, and and what was your relationship with him? Well, you know, at first it was quiet, you know, because I, I think Harry had had enough of being on losing teams with the Giants. But we had some ups and downs or whatever. And, and you know, as time went on, especially in my career, I could see Harry taking a bigger role in the football team. Harry lives around the corner from me. I always make fun of him. He cuts his own grass, and he always cuts it with his shirt off. So, you know, I'm like, hey, Harry. <laughs> that's. But, you know, I always think of this, too. You know, he was a quiet leader um, and really galvanized the team, I thought, a lot because he was one of the few guys. You know, nobody really stood up and talked to the team as a player, but him and George Martin were probably the only two that did, and that's all we wanted was those two. And I, I laugh about this. I was captain – uh, along with Harry, uh, maybe the last couple years or whatever. And I remember in 1986, I said, man, you don't care. I don't want to go out for the coin toss. I mean, come on. I just stand there and you call the wrong heads or tail every time. And I just don't want to be part of it anymore. So he loved, I, if you ever talk to Harry, he loved the fact that he was the only guy on our team that walked out there. And if you look at a picture of the Super Bowl, I think he has a photo of it. He's out there with the coin toss in the Super Bowl, and they're the Broncos. They got half their team out there, and there's just Harry. And uh, but you know, our relationship is really good. I admire him and uh, the way he's handled himself during all that tough time of his career, and then join our success and the way he handles himself now. He's a great ambassador for the Giants, the NFL, and just people in general. I know 15 years is a, a long NFL career. But looking back, do you feel you could have played more, been effective sure. a year or two more? Are there any little regrets looking back thinking, you know, maybe I should have played a little more, maybe gone to another team, pursued another Super Bowl? Well, that was my thought. You know, I wanted to stay with the Giants. And I thought, you know, when the season was over, Dan Reeves and I had some talks. And, you know, he really wanted my opinion on certain things. I was like, man, I've never had a coach really ask me about my opinion about the football team. Uh, but so I was really looking forward to the season in 1994 and I thought we were really close. And if we went out and got one or two guys, it could really change, give us a chance to compete against the Cowboys and the 49ers and all them. So yeah, I wanted to play a year. I told Dan the day they released me, you know, he, it was a tough day for him. He had, he, I said, Dan, it's not your fault, you know, coach. And I said, look, I was hoping to play two more years for you. And, you know, see if we had a chance and just to finish my career because I really thought I could still do it. And it, it took me a while to get over it. 
probably took me about three years before I finally said, okay, it's over. Let's move on in life. And um, so, yeah, just to answer your question, I definitely felt like, and I know I could have played a few more years because I'd kind of changed my style of play a little. I was about not taking hits. You know, it was kind of turning to that. And uh, so I didn't get really a chance to enjoy. I hung in there the whole year in 1993. It, it was rough. I had some really rough games physically, but I played every play. And um, so I was looking for the next couple of years. And, hey, that's the way it works. The Giants had a plan, and I was not part of it. We had a first-round quarterback behind me and Dave Brown, and they wanted to get him on the field. And he was never going to get on the field as long as I was there. So they did what they thought they had to do. Yeah, so they, a great move they made there. Phil, um, yeah, well, no, it's okay. Phil, I'm sorry. I got to be honest. I just got to be honest with that. I mean, come on. Anyway. Well, here's what it was. Let me explain it to you, too. It was the first year of the salary cap. And so in 1994 is when the salary cap started. And the Giants just said, okay, do we finagle the thing? I don't think people were doing that. So they, they let a, quite a few of us go. I can't remember all the players that were let go. But it was all about money, and um, you know that that was not that I was all about money. I'm like, wow, I'm finally making a decent salary here. I'd like to play a couple more years. Sure. But it's it just like I said earlier, maybe it was an omen or good because I didn't take more punishment, and who knows, I could have had some injuries that would have been lasting me for my life. Right now, I feel good. I take care of myself, and so maybe. Somebody was doing me a favor by letting me go. Yeah, sometimes you don't realize it till it's over with. That's for sure. Yeah, that's right. That's and right. quite fittingly, I mean, LT retired the same year you did. Uh, two of the the greatest players in Giants history. So, well, he was he was ready to retire. You know, Lawrence is like, okay, we want to. So, what else is there? What am I going to do? You know, he was hilarious. <laughs> I'll never forget in '86 we won the Super Bowl. Him and I were behind, and so they had a car to take us back to the hotel, and everybody went on the buses. And Lawrence goes, he looked at me, he goes, well, what are we going to do now? And I said, what do you mean? He goes, well, we won the Super Bowl. So what else is there to do? I'm like, well, let's win it again next year, Lawrence. And, you know, it was so funny. That was typical of him, you know. But, uh, man, he was a great teammate, too. He was, he was a tremendous supporter of mine. And, you know, I'll never forget that from him. Okay. Well, Phil, I mean – we're going to end the show now. It's been an hour. It's been a pleasure you coming on. I mean, it's, it's you know, my birthday's in two days. Okay. And I just got me a brand new New York Giants jacket uh, from my wife. And I, okay. just to, I just got to talk to my childhood hero, Phil. Well, and, and I appreciate you coming on. And I know all the Giants fans appreciate you coming on. And well, Phil, keep, keep, keep doing the job you're doing uh, broadcasting. You do a heck of a job. Um, and if you want to, you know, you and Boomer are hilarious and you guys do a, you guys do an incredible job. But again, thank you for well, coming. Listen, thank you for having me. It's so nice. You know, listen, I appreciate all the kind words. And I, I tell people this, it used to be people would come up to me. I loved you. You, I loved you when you were playing. And then now it, it didn't turn to my father loved you. <laughs> and now I get, my grandfather really talks about you a lot. So <laughs> I guess that's good. I'm hanging in there. But yeah, it's easy to capitalize in everything. But I will say this, and you guys know it, in athletics, the memories never leave you. And had a lot of tremendous teammates, uh, coaches, and fans. And I really appreciate being on today and talking to you guys. It was it was awesome. A lot of good conversation. Brings back a lot of good memories. And we loved having you, Phil. Trust me. Uh, All right. So, Phil, have a great one. Keep up the great work. Yeah. And uh, well, I don't know if I can top you. I had Roy White. Now you. Now I don't know where to go from here. So <laughs> Okay. Well, there's there's a lot more to cross off that there list. Is, there, there, is, there. All right. there is, Phil. But again, thank All you. Right. I appreciate it. Pleasure meeting you. Thanks a lot, Phil. No, my pleasure. Thank you so much. All right. So there you go, folks. The legendary Phil Sims on the show with me and Jack tagged along. I know that's not his hero. But he definitely. Oh, I always admired Phil Sims a heck of That's a lot. Funny. And there were a lot of years I wish I'm a Jet fan that I wished he would have caught the back of the Jets. Okay. Yes. So. so, folks, again, thanks for joining us on this special. We'll be up in the future with more guests of, of heroes in the New York area. And uh, as I said, Roy White, Phil Sims, and uh, we'll be working on a new uh, New York sports hero for you. Thank you for joining us. Have a great night.
And uh, coming up next, we've got uh, a lot of things on Northeast Streaming Sports YouTube channel. Stick around and check out the Huddle, JB Talking Shop, the uh, NFC East show, all on Northeast Streaming Sports YouTube channel. Thanks, guys, for, for joining us, and have a great night.